This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello and welcome to episode 176 of What Most People Think. And whoa, it's cold, isn't it? It's cold, isn't it? Have you ever thought, you know when people say those weird rhetorical things to you, have you ever thought of just being a spoiler and going, nah, that really piss them off, wouldn't it? It's cold, isn't it? Mm, nah, not really. This time of year is about right, you know, it's not cold. <laughs> well, hasn't, hasn't December come around quick? No, no, it hasn't. It has, aren't young people rude today? No, they're not actually. Uh, there are a lot of things. They aren't rude. If anything, they're too fucking nice, you know. That's why, that's why I always get uncomfortable whenever they serve you food and they go, enjoy. Oh, what, what do you mean, enjoy? What have you put in my food? But uh, anyway, welcome to What Most People Think. If this is the first time you're listening or you're just getting into the podcast, it is a weekly topical comedy slash interview. So it takes a lot of forms, right? So thank you for the people that stick with this ever-changing um, format. And we uh, explore the socio-political areas which are left underserved, shall we say, by the rest uh, of comedy. Not that it's an echo chamber. We have people across, uh, from across the spectrum last week we had Catherine Ryan on and this week we've got John Holmes so I think John might be a lefty actually but he's one of these you know these mad fucking lefties that that is happy to talk to people from all sides of uh, defence and, and and John's got an incredible career to talk about coming at things from a different part of the industry you know he started off doing you know he made radio his goal he, he didn't come out from stand-up originally and he's been involved in some interesting stuff some controversies you're going to want to hear about him getting the biggest fine in commercial radio ever. Um, and, and he's also involved in, in creating comedy on the radio, which is, uh, which, is, which is trying to get different voices in it. And, and he speaks in a fascinating and funny way about the issues of class and diversity uh, in comedy. Just, just, just a great bloke to listen to. Really enjoyed the chat. Uh, before I chat with him, and also um, I've got to talk about the rail strikes and whether the RMT, are they slowly losing the room, are they? Because I've had a lot of support the RMT, so I'm going to quickly do that before we get into the um, into the chat with John. We've got a couple of things to catch up on. Uh, David Domain, David Domain is back, he's fine, uh, he's, he's uh, Domain talking points, he's sent them all through to me, and he, going back to the Catherine Ryan episode... And David picks up on a point that Kath made. She was talking about the hypocrisy of uh, Justin Trudeau. And she mentioned that Canada uh, exports a lot of asbestos. And it turns out this is true. I mean, uh, Canada has been a major exporter of uh, chrysotil or white asbestos. It was the world's fourth biggest exporter behind Russia, Kazakhstan and Brazil. There you go. There's there's three nations that have got zero fucks to give, hey? Russia, Kazakhstan and Brazil. But they're all buying petrol off each other. Uh, Canada ships about 150,000 tonnes a year to developing countries such as India, Indonesia and the Philippines, where little or no protection exists for workers of ex or exposed populations. So there you go. That's classic, classic Trudeau, isn't it? That's exactly what you'd expect from a geezer like Justin Trudeau. I, hey, I, I, we say people kind, guys. We say people kind. And then the moment the camera's off, send that fucking asbestos to those fucking pork. <laughs> We've got new Patreons. We've got a new board member, Ian Spammon. Ian Spammon. 
I mean, I just I don't know what I can add to that. Name Ian, I'm sure. Is that a code name? Spam and the Gammon? Is it? Oh my God, is that what they call you at work? If you're in your 50s and you work in a place where there are any young people, Ian, I can guarantee you that they will call you Spam and the Gammon. <laughs> it, oh, I mean, Ian, Spam, spam Javelin? Um, that's one of the greatest euphemisms for penis I've ever heard. Um, and so, Ian, you're a board member. So, just a reminder to board members, I got in contact, check your messages because I got in contact for your extra special board member gig and I think it is a good one so check those and get back to me with the information I will start dispatching this secret gift at the secret board member level uh, as early as next week I think and um, if you're not a a board member Right now, you can just go into your account, edit up your pledge to 20 quid or above, and I'll get in contact uh, with you too. And remember, there are plenty of benefits as well at VIP level. And Richard Norris, thank you for signing up, Richard. Um, you appear to have to, to have had to sign up about eight times. I don't know why Patreon is just killing me because I've got eight, eight emails saying that you signed up. Either that or there is eight Richard Norrises, eight Richard Norrises uh, out there. I mean, Richard Norris... I hope that you're like a cool guy, Richard, because Richard Norris, if if, if I had to imagine Richard Norris's name, Richard Norris's name, Richard is going to be a bit like that. Yeah, we're just, uh, hi, uh, uh, Richard Norris on the Zoom here. Just got a couple of questions, guys. Um, yeah, I know we're running a bit over time. Richard Norris would be the guy that would ask the, sup- the supplementary question, wouldn't he, in any other business? Yeah, just... Um, just had one or two uh, issues with the vending machine here at uh, here at Crawley Branch, and uh, we did actually flag this with <laughs> we did actually flag this with uh, building and systems admin. But um, it has been a while. I don't know, Richard. Send me a photo of yourself, which I want to. I'd love it if I'd love it if your 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 reality exceeded uh, the prospect of your name. Let's do a quick thank you uh, and a fuck you before we talk about the uh, ongoing issues with the RMT strikes. A thank you. I did a corporate last week, a corporate gig for uh, Glotel, Glotel Telecom, uh, with my friend Scott, who I've worked with before. And it was a lovely gig. It was such nice people. Um, they were about uh, they were about 50% international audience, so I don't know, maybe 40%. And, and it was a really interesting challenge. You know, the gig went well, but just trying to go through your head and think, what are the cultural references here? There was one point where I started a routine about um, about chip pan fires. And I just thought, well, this is a fucking... <laughs> who, who's, why are they going to give a shit about chip pan fires, Jeff? You know, maybe that was uh, that was like a very British thing. So so if in doubt, right, if in doubt what I've learned in comedy, just pick a bloke in the front row, right? Especially either a very old bloke or a very young bloke. A very young bloke's good, good-looking bloke. He's got his life in front of him, the prick. He's going to be shagging for the next 10 years of his life. Just give him shit. He could take it. He's young, you know, and he's old and he's still in a job. You know, he's retiring soon. He doesn't give a shit. So uh, I'd like to thank everyone that turned up to that gig, and I hope you had a great night. Uh, the fuck you is to, somewhat randomly, is to communism. <laughs> yeah, I've decided. I don't like it, guys. I don't like it. I mean, the thing is, I've been, so I've been listening to this podcast called The, the Dictators. Very good, right? So it, instead of going through the history of like a country, it takes the, the dictator as the lead person and you get to find out about how these regimes came into being and what made the people that led them tick. And I know that a lot of the anxiety that we have politically is always about the rise of the far right. And we should always be, uh, we should always be, what's the fucking word, vigilant about that. But you look at like the most murderous repressive dictators so many of them are communists right if you look at your Pol Pot's 
you start. Why are you pluralizing them, Jeff? I don't know. That's what they do in sport. You Stalin's, Lenin, Corbyn, anyone ends in in. Um, they start from the point of view, right? They start from the point. This is the problem with, with the left, isn't it? Because you go far off the the spectrum, like socialism, you know, five five. But there's there's this tipping point, isn't there? We're gonna liberate the people. Oh, how are you gonna do that? Everyone's gonna have enough rice. We've already got rice. What do you, what do you mean? Why we should have more stuff? Don't just try and give everyone the same amount of sort of mediocre, sh- sh- low level shit. I, w- I want more rice. I, w- I don't want fuck rice. I want nicer stuff than rice. No, everyone can have the same rice. We're sick of all these. It often it just seems to emerge, doesn't it, from the politics of uh, of envy, doesn't it? That's the main thing. Is they see rich people and go, "This is bullshit. We're going to take that wealth." Uh, we'll we'll know how to redistribute that. And oh, what? So everyone's going to be a bit richer? No, everyone's going to have the same. Everyone's going to be poor. Great, awesome. I think that's the problem, isn't it, with communism generally? Is most people go, well, I'd rather be poor with the prospect of being rich than just everyone being poor forever at a stable level of poverty. You know. Oh, by the way, you're going to be poor, but it's not. You're not going to be destitute. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Let's look. That's sell that to the people. And and Pol Pot as well was the worst one. I mean, he's, at least at least with like Lenin and Stalin, they sort of had a plan. And you know, like uh, if you, you know if you leave out the millions of people that they murdered, which conveniently a lot of sort of historical discourse does, they sort of were flexible and they moved. I mean, Pol Pot's one was just such a a, 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 a sort of nihilistic sort of. Like, we're going to go from year zero, and they just fucking killed all the doctors and. They just kept finding new groups of groups in society to demonise the 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 fuck. In the end, who was it? The the, the the peasants, the peasants who had more rice than they needed. <laughs> they became these fucking flash pricks with slightly more rice when they need. Nah, nah, nah. State's taking control of that, mate. You've been you've been creaming off the fat for too long. You you got too much rice. Do you know what I mean? Basically, the the goal of a lot of communism seems to be to. To make everyone live like you know that bit in um, I'm a celebrity, but they're just existing on rice and beans. That seems to be uh, the goal of a lot of communism. So I suppose, I suppose listen to this series, which I highly recommend. It's just a reminder that the left, oh, it's cuddly up to a point, isn't it? It's cuddly. Or we're just doing nice things, but when it trips over, man, by God, does it come murderous and repressive very quickly? Okay, let's have a quick chat about the RMT. Right, so we've had a uh, we had a year of rail strikes, haven't we? Uh, have we? Is it summer of last year? I don't know. Anyway, we've had a while. We had quite a few rail strikes, and it's unusual in a way that it's had quite compared to most strikes that it's had quite broad public support. You know, people have, people have emphasised. We've all had a, a sort of squeeze on our living standards, and the RMT are saying, "I want mom, I want more money," and we're going, "Yeah, every everyone should have more money." You know, even even though if everyone got like double-digit pay rises at this point, it would actually fan inflation. So whatever pay rises did come, uh, certainly a percentage of that would start to be eaten up. But we sort of understood, you know, the principle. There was a, there was a, there was an atmosphere of support. And uh, the RMT did well in early knocking, certainly against the government. They've come across well. The government, the problem the government have had is that the, they've had a, a sort of ever-changing carousel of leaders. So the government, the government ministers have been like, a bit like the sugar babes, haven't they? The lineup has been changing. Meanwhile, the RMT have been offering up one person, Mick Lynch, who has, uh, who's been, you know, who, who people seem to respond to very well uh, because he's, you know, he's together. He seems quite calm. Doesn't seem quite as angry as other union leaders. You know, you know, not like uh, it doesn't seem like a like a sort of uh, a Guy Ritchie 
Guy Ritchie villain like um, Eddie, Eddie Dempsey. Eddie Dempsey comes on. Eddie Dempsey's like, I said to him, I couldn't and I wouldn't accept that order. Do you know what I mean? Whereas uh, Mick Lynch comes on, he's a bit, well, you know, he just seems like, you know, a bloke that you'd have a drink with, Mick Lynch. And, and consequently, the usual playbook for the right-wing press hasn't worked, right? They normally just call them union barons, you know, they sort of like do a thing. You know that weird thing where their face moulds from one person to the other, so it goes from Mick, Mick Lynch to Scargill. Um, but it hasn't worked with Mick Lynch because he seems reasonable and grown up and he does the rounds with a, with some interviewers. They all try to sort of land blows on him and he he bodies them. Have you seen this on social media? Mick Lynch just bodied Piers Morgan. You go, well, he made some good points. A lot a lot of, uh, you know, destroyed, lacerated, eviscerated. A lot of it just comes down to somebody just making some good points, right? He bodied them. Um so, so he sort of wins these early rounds and then the RMT strike and they strike again and we start to realise that the strikes aren't just the day or two that they're happening on. They often affect the day before and the day after. So, you know, they can be up to like four days of, uh, of either no travel or disruption. And meanwhile, you know, your average commuter is uh, frequently spending hours delayed or so they decide to drive and then some fucking prick called uh, India, you know, uh, glues her face to <laughs> the M3. Um and, and, you know, maybe it starts to change a little bit because it's just really aggravating when you're spending your time just trying to get where you need to be to do what you need to do on a simple level, right? Just need to get to work. I just need to pick my kids up. I just need to go to a, a doctor's appointment. And and so this public support that originally kind of egged them on a little bit, it starts to uh, it starts to wane a bit. And you ne- never trust the public to, to keep a certain point of view. They're selfish pricks, right? I mean, just bear in mind that even at this point on YouGov polling, uh, 20% of people still think that nightclubs should be shut permanently, right? <laughs> still, just because of COVID. They still, 20% of people just think nightclubs should be shut forever. And, you know, like people start to reassess things the longer it goes on. Train drivers earn well. You know, that's always been a, a problem for the RMTs. We are aware that for, for the job that they do, that it, it's a good wage, but there are other people, uh, you know, within this RMT union, a lot of other people that don't earn at that level, you know, so you have to take that into consideration. But on the other hand, they do have this job where they can leverage the government because it's infrastructure, isn't it? Getting people to work. They can essentially hobble the government. And a lot of people don't, you know, a lot of people don't have that option uh, in the job um, that they're in. So the offer that they've made is uh, Network Rail's made the offer of 8% over two years. And the RMT come out. And as well as, you know, sort of striking... Striking twice in the run up to Christmas, so the Christmas party season, they've got oh, kind of fucked that up the arse. <laughs> can you do a better? Can you think of better words there, Jeff? Than that they fucked that up the arse. They, you know, uh, no, I can't. So um, they've they've done that, and then early in the new year, when people are going back to work, they've uh, there's two strikes in early January as well, and th- and this hurts people. That's the point. Is whatever the motives are, with the rights and wrongs of withdrawing um, your labour, this people are the collateral, right? And then so they they don't like this new pay offer. And um, they announce one which starts on Christmas Eve. And I know that it doesn't start till 6pm and, of course, there wouldn't be train travel for the next couple of days. But just symbolically, I think that that is the moment of overreach. I think it's a poor move. It's a poor move because um, it starts to move public opinion. Cause it's, like we, it's almost like we don't give a fuck. You know, that's that's the message that we that, that they care. They've always come out and said, you know, we, we're obviously uh, sorry for any inconvenience call. But this sends out a message that they're not. 
And and the problem is for the strikers, so for the people who are on the picket lines, they would have had a lot of support from the, the people. Because in a way, I guess as people were angry with the Conservative government, anyone that was going up against them, they were sort of, you fucking too right, mate. <laughs> like van drivers going past, go on, I'm too fucking, tell Boris to fuck off. I mean, it all gets, in the same way that the independence movement is sort of linked in with, the Scottish independence movement have linked in with a sort of anti-Tory fuck Boris thing. So so was the the, the strikes. And then... And then, you know, those people that have been buoyed up by the support, like, I don't know, yeah, I think we should strike some more, but the public are loving it, they can't get enough of our strikes. <laughs> then it changes, doesn't it? It gets a bit colder, you know, then uh, they're striking over, over Christmas, got pissed up wankers coming up to them going, you ruined Christmas, my grand can't get back, my, my fucking grand. Like, they're, they're unhappy about other stuff in their life, but they suddenly see this picket line and t- they take it all out on them. And so I think it was a bad move, right? I think it's a bad move, symbolically. And people say, well, why should they give a shit about symbolic stuff? Well, they did with the Queen, didn't they? They did with the Queen. So I think that they should have they should have considered that here. And um, the issue that they might run into is, is inflation will start to come down inevitably, you know. And then the double-digit inflation is a very strong argument for double-digit pay rises. That will be gone. And we'll see the impact of uh, prolonged reduced travel because of working... From home and, 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 you know, like bit by bit, this this situation where Mick Lynch was out bodying Piers Morgan might seem like quite a distant memory. So, look, I'm really, I've got, I'm going out on the piss on the 22nd of December and uh, it, I tell you something, you know, I've tried to be more supportive of the unions this year than than before. But I, t- I tell you this much, Mick fucking Lynch, if you, if you announce another strike on the 22nd of December, I'll tell you what I'll have to do. I'll have to get an Uber home from London because I am not missing a piss up for anything. Okay, let's get into the chat uh, with John Holmes here. As you'll hear at the beginning, I was recording this on Monday morning and uh, it it took me a while to get my ass in gear. Okay, I'm delighted to say welcome... Go again. I'm delighted to say... uh, for a third time, I'm delighted to say I'm making his debut on the what this is recording on a Monday morning, so I'm keeping that in, and I'm not I'm not ashamed. Uh, I got a guy having done so much uh, radio, will fully understand that kind of me choking into life. There is the brilliant John Holmes. Welcome to the show, mate. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks very much. That was um, that was you know the first time either of us have probably spoken today, wasn't it? So that I can understand. You know what happened? There was there was a bit, and I think I might have done this recently in the gig that that we I saw you at Crawley, um, mm. where I was talking about that kind of hangover that you get, whereby the first time you you're that hungover that the first time you speak in a day, your voice scares the shit out of you because you go it's just deeper and weirder and raspy. Yeah, as though you've become possessed during the night. Yeah, and as though so you, like some sort of. Demonic entity has crawled into you. Yeah, like you do you ever get <laughs> Which that? It's happened to us all. It has. Well, that, that's the mark of a good night. Uh, if a demonic entity <laughs> crawled into you, some people pay for that, John. Um, but I have you ever had that voice where you you know you ring somebody on your phone and you get the voice of Satan where he goes and it doesn't. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. What the fuck yeah. is? Has anybody ever discussed whether that is actually Satan trying to communicate yeah, a, a sort of portal to another dimension? And we yeah, just, I mean, you're right, you might you might be onto something there because I don't think I don't think that's been scientifically investigated. I mean. I've never said anything, oh, by the way, that's just a sort of, sort of feedback from the mast. So I think that Satan may be, well, I mean, it's an incredible place to talk, really, talking about um, Satan. And, and I think that, um, I'm not saying that you're obviously Satan, but um, you are... 
I think the, the you know the implication was there, but yeah, go on. <laughs> well, you know, you you've done some naughty stuff in your career, but we will get onto that. I um I think for you know that phrase a, a great voice for radio it used to be used like as as a sort of like an insult about how people look. But I can remember the first time I heard you on a radio, I just thought I want to listen to what this bloke's saying because of how he sounds, right? And and how how early were you sort of aware of that when you were in the industry? Did people actually talk about? just your voice and how it comes across because we often overlook the simple sort of dynamics of what makes something work don't we that's it that's you know i've never been asked that before that's that's quite an interesting question i um so as a kid i was always i have no skill set right i have jokes and I have the radio. That's all I all I have. Much to my my dad, who was a builder's utter despair, <laughs> and he and he's sort of um, he's like, what is the what are you doing? Why why can't you put a shelf up? And I just I could do a joke. I do a joke about something, uh, and and I was just into radio from a really really early age. And I don't know whether I just sort of absorbed its rhythms. Yeah, because it's all about it's like music, I think, and jokes work like this because you'll know. It's it's sort of musical, isn't it? Because rhythms and how words structured together and how they form and how sentences form. And if the rhythm to a joke isn't right, it won't work. Mm. Even if the words are the same, the rhythm has to be there. And it's all part of that. And I'm kind of, I don't understand it, but I'm totally fascinated by it. And the voice thing, I, I mean, I've never really thought, because I'll listen to people on the radio and go, oh, that's a, that's a good voice. Mm. That, they've got an amazing voice. So I've never, I wouldn't, you know, I, mine, I, I worked hard to, to, to bash the Midlands out of myself. Um, which sounds like a euphemism for growing <laughs> up. <doesn't it? laughs> oh, and, and 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 then the Peaky Blinders came along. You know, it, it, uh, all, yeah, it made it cool. It was yeah, like it was like sort of Burberry getting its second life, wasn't it? That, that something that was once kind of roundly mocked will it will eventually become fashionable. But it's certainly yeah. been one of those accents that that people are quite open about mocking, really. They are, yeah. Uh, and uh, it's 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 always been when I first moved down. So I grew up in Nuneaton, right, right in the in the West Midlands. And while it's not quite Birmingham, there's a sort of Birmingham edge to that accent mm. in the Neaton, right? So my folks are still there and they still uh, sort of have it. And as I and I went down to uni in the south and it just it just dropped away because I was surrounded by, you know, um, southern scum. Yes. So it just sort of it just sort of fell off naturally. But there are certain words that I catch myself saying that hark straight back to the very heart of that accent. So one of them is basically, if I'm not concentrating, yeah. I'll be talking and I'll go, well, the thing is, um, and, and you know, I'll give you an example because the window cleaner's just turned up and he's doing yeah. the window here. So so I might say, oh, the, win- the window cleaner's uh, turned up. And basically, he's, and it'll just slip. <laughs> actually, just slip like that. actually, yeah, actually, normally. Uh, he's doing the windows really well out there. It's great. <laughs> uh, but it turns out it's the only accent I can do at all. I mean, I cannot do accents apart from that one. Well, that's interesting because um, your voice sounds quite like 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 sort of malleable. It's got that that resonance and that tone that tends to work well, you know, for radio. And you 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 you. When I, mean, I was looking at your CV and stuff, you've done so many you know, like like different jobs in and around uh, radio. But of course, of course, I'm going to be drawn to the time you got fined a record amount of money that's right. uh, for yeah. an on-air stunt. I mean, are you, are you called to talk about that? It was it absolutely yeah, yeah seventy five yeah. grand. Was... Well, it's it's worse, Jeff, right? Because hmm. the fine was a hundred and fifty thousand pounds, right? right. Um, and we should probably explain what it was for, because people, if you may not know, are probably just going. I, I, we've what? definitely got their attention, I'd imagine, with that sort of money. Yeah, and it remains the largest ever fine. I love, I love the pride industry. with the way you said that there. I do. <laughs> I didn't even get a certificate from Ofcom. I didn't even get one. <laughs> um, and what it was, I was doing. Uh, so it was twenty-two years ago. 
Yeah. Like, but still now, it follows me around and renders me mildly unemployable. <laughs> most so back in 2000. Stage. Back in 2000, I was doing late nights on, on then Virgin Radio. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I was, I had a regular, I only did it for six months till it all came crashing down. But I had a regular slot on a Friday and it was called Swearing Hangman for the under 12s right <laughs> and the the idea was that you you got um kids under 12 would ring in at midnight it was on midnight on a friday night yeah and their their parents would wake them up and get them to play so their parents were helping them play the game right okay so it was a fully parental consented pg you know, there's no it was exactly that yeah. it was a pg certificate um but the more sort of uh, confident i got with the game because it was funny the more sweary it got as we went along mm. until it just transgressed the line by kicking it out of the way and stepping over it mm. uh in a spectacular fashion so not i remember it well nine-year-old katie she was called and her parents were helping her yeah and i asked her about a day at school and and the way the feature worked was because of course if you're listening you know much earlier than the child yes. what word is coming. Okay, yeah, yeah. So she, she had a she had a five letter, a three letter, and a four letter little phrase, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and and it was uh, it was to win a CD. Of course it was. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and she and so she was going. Okay, so right here we go. Let's play swearing hangman for the under twelves. Uh, go. So uh, well, is there a is there a cert in it? Yeah, there is. It's the first letter of yeah. the first word, Katie. That's great. Good start. Okay, is there a, is there a T? Is there a T? Mm. Yeah, it's the it's the first and third letter of the middle three letter word. And you can hear a parent sort of going, "Is it asking me ask if there's a P in it? Is there a, yeah. is there a P in it? Yeah, it's the fifth fourth letter of the of the first word." Anyway, she she spelt this out, and she, what she spelt out uh, was the phrase "soapy tit wank." Soapy tit, incredible. Right. Yeah, yeah, right. So, and it turns out. That you can't do that on the radio. <laughs> with, with make, and then I, I just said to her when she, she said, you know, is it soapy titwank? And her parents go, soapy titwank, soapy titwank, say that. Yeah. Right? And I just said, yes, it is, Kate. You've won a CD. Shout it as loud as you can. And she just went, soapy titwank. And I went, here's Deacon Blue. And oh, that, that is, that's the clincher. That's the topper for me. Here's that's Deacon what, Blue. Here's the Deacon epit- Blue. epitome moment, of. I can hear Ofcom's phone ringing off, off the hook. Uh, and then, uh, and then, one hundred and seventy-five thousand pounds was mooted uh, for taste and decency. And this is a big lesson in mm. in how the media works, right? Early on, because uh, the boss phoned me up. He went, "Right, this has happened." And I went, "Yeah, but you, you know, you it was your you loved that feature. Yeah, you, you, you were the one who encouraged me to do it. And said how well it was going, how funny it was." And he, he went, "Yeah." But um, on the record, I didn't know you were doing it, and you're a maverick, and you're fired, and uh, and we that's a deal we've cut with Ofcom to halve the amount of the fine. Oh, so wow. I was sold down the river by management. <laughs> well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because you think about the the time that that happened in around 2000, and if you think about shows in and around, I don't know if it was happening exactly then, but like the 11 o'clock show, and like like The Office, there was like there was still that subversive streak in, in, in kind of British comedy generally. And I don't know if that came to a grinding halt with Saxgate when everyone shit the bed a bit. But yeah, but but yeah. so you were part of a wider culture there of, of things like that happening. You know, you think even even like with the Radio One Breakfast show with Chris Moyles, you know, there was a there was a slightly laddie, you know, there was a, a sort of um, a sort of bravado and and 
and kind of banter element to that. And if you look now, and he's a great broadcaster, but Greg James almost epitomises the opposite of that, yeah. isn't he? He's very, he's yeah. a nice guy. You know, you could trust him. You know, he's never going <laughs> to do that stuff. I mean, he's but, never going to do that. No, he, no he's, he is never going to do that. But I'm going to say here and now, there is no way that Greg James will indulge in any kind of Sophie Titwank at any level. No, no. And, uh, I'm going to categorically say that. I would say that these days, Radio <laughs> 1, probably before they give people the breakfast job, are probably trailing them with uh, ex-KGBA ages just to make sure there's no there's no fines like that but you but I mean you you sort of carried on in radio and you've done a number of different jobs and and, and you, there's this sort of strand of comedy where I generally on this show speak to people that have come into comedy through stand-up you know principally through yeah. st- through stand-up and yours route has been sort of very different hasn't it it has yeah I I realized early on because I suppose I because I'd always loved radio and then I did um my mum was a nurse right so she said you know and I was making little you know, cassettes. Remember those kids, you know, when <laughs> yeah. I was a kid of, of myself doing radio shows. And my mum said, look, there's hospital radio that exists at the hospital I work at. So, or used to work at. So why don't you do that? Uh, when I was 16, you could, you have to be 16, I think to do that. So, uh, and I went in there and what you end up doing with hospital radio is uh, they won't let you on air until you've had a grounding in going around the hospital, getting requests off dying people. And it's it's a massive <laughs> eye for a 16-year-old kid who just wants to go on the radio because you're then standing with just pensioners. who are, Their last breath is sort of saying, have you got any Johnny Mathis? Or it'd be, it'd be funny if they'd have just said Soapy Titwank, you know, then. <laughs> Congratulations. You've Can I have a Soapy Titwank, um, please? Sorry, Bill. I'm afraid we're past that point, mate. <laughs> right. Yeah, I'm just going to give you a last ride. <laughs> but you got there was a lot of that that was a, a, a you had to pass this test of, of that before they let you on out doing the request show where yeah. you know bill uh wanted wanted whatever so and i used to um and i did that from 16 to 18 really like every tuesday night or something and then i went down went to uni and then joined student radio and you know and, and we ended up doing comedy nights at uni, which wasn't really stand-up. It was more hosting game, stupid student mm. games and stuff, you know. And then uh, radio, 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 wanted to do that, came out of college uh, uh, and went, promptly went to America because couldn't get a job and then uh, came back and uh, just sent demo tapes off and failed to get any kind of traction whatsoever. Ended up working, doing sound and lighting in a theatre because I could do sound at that point. Uh, and then I thought, uh, then I started writing jokes for like uh, Radio 4 Comedy, like Weekending was a, an open door policy show back then. Uh, and Spitting Image used to take stuff as well for the telly. And I used mm. to sort of send stuff in with no success, very little success to, to these programs. Um, and then I thought, well, oh, you have to do stand up to do this. I think you've got to, this is, I, I want to do comedy. This is what I'm, I'm doing funny stuff. And I want to do, I, I should do stand up. And I did it very briefly and and very quickly realized that everyone i was gigging with was far better than me at stand-up and i i sort of thought you know i i know i can do the radio but this mm. is a bit this is quite hard because i i just couldn't remember i didn't do it often enough to learn the set properly do you know what i mean yes and yeah. my problem wasn't the material it was learning it i think it's and a bit like it cricket night, you've got to be in the nets you know what i mean like you do yeah, there, yeah, there's yeah, a yeah. certain repetitious element to it yeah, there is. And I and I just did not do it uh, enough. And I remember doing a gig uh, early, very early on with, I think, Howard Reed did it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Ed Byrne was headlining and, you know, just blew, the, just yeah, blew yeah. The, the roof off the plane. And I just thought, yeah, this isn't for me. <laughs> this isn't, there's got to be other ways not, of blowing roofs off. Not an off. arena. <laughs> yeah. uh, there's got to be, I, I can compete over here, but I don't think I can do this. 
anywhere near as well as these people. Well, that, so, I mean, that's yeah. again, you know, I mentioned Ricky Gervais with the 11 o'clock show. That was another sort of way. There were people involved in and around that show that were all coming at it from um, a different angle. But you like, I mean, I do a fair bit of writing for TV still, and you were you were involved, I mean, in radio with like the early Dead Ringers, right? You co-created that. Yeah, yeah. And, and that, you know, that had a sort of subversive feel to it because, I mean, people forget because impressions aren't as big now. But if you look back to the, there was that Mike Yarwood era where, Everyone did the same like three impressions. It was Frank Bruno, Cilla Black, and Frank Spencer. <laughs> That's right. And, every, and Prince Charles, Maggie Thatcher, maybe if you were lucky. And then Dead Ringers, not only were they doing like a broader range of... Is that partly what you thought was you, you wanted to open it up a bit and, and put a bit more into it? It was... It, Dead Ringers came about. I got... So I was working in the theatre and I got the... And I get that at that point, I'd, I'd had a little bit of success with... Um, I had uh, a Radio 4 excuse me, a Radio 4 thing where I'd made a, a demo cassette of a sketch show and I'd gone around and put it on loads of producers' desks. And so that that got serious. Well, it was for, it, it was for Radio 1. It was made for Radio 1. Hmm. And then Radio 1 changed. It was back when, like, Lee and Herring were doing Radio 1 and that kind of stuff, late 90s, mm -hmm. I suppose. And then they Radio 1 changed, got rid of all the old guard, and that's when they started to bring in, you know, Chris Evans and, and, and that era. But they dropped all the comedy. Uh, so my series never aired on Radio 1 and instead Radio 4 sort of took pity on it and broadcast it. But, but it was a Radio 1 show. So mm -hmm. it, again, reputation had preceded me and it was a case of going, it got the most complaints that I think Radio 4 had ever had because it was a Radio 1 programme and they yeah, just put yeah, it on Radio yeah. 4. Insane. But anyway, um, and from that, just cutting a few uh, bits of it out because it took a while, I got um, the job as in-house writer for BBC Comedy. Mm -hmm. uh, which which still which still exists now. Uh, it's a year's contract, and but it, what it means is you can sort of leave your day job uh, and and be in an office in broadcasting house for a bit. And your job is to come up with program ideas that and write for existing shows. And a producer called Bill Dare, who was sort of quite a legend, he'd done spitting image and, mm. and stuff, stuck his head around the door. I remember one day and just went, "Oh look, I've got I've got an idea for an impression show, spitting image on the radio. I've got Alistair McGowan and John Colshaw. Uh, think of something." <laughs> Mm. I mean, you, you so, already think that'll be quite good you know even if you just even yeah, 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 even yeah. at that stage of the pitch you go well you know i mean because yeah it, this could work yeah mm. so it was a great it was a great brief i mean and then me and my you know co-writer uh andy hurst uh and simon blackwell um who listeners may know of you know who's gone on to work with armando inucci a lot and does amazing back right, and channel yeah. for stuff Mate, absolutely brilliant and and he was he was around um uh, as well so it was me him uh and andy i think wrote the pilot uh, and then they liked that, and then it started to sort of snowball into you know this. But we just the the, the radio one program I was talking about that ended up on Radio Four was called Grievous Bodily Radio, and it was a piss take of all radio, mm. right? Geek again, radio geek. So uh, and then it got all these complaints. So what we did was we we took some of those sketches because no one heard it mm. and put impressions in them, the same jokes, right? Impressions in them. And that was the pilot of Dead Ringers. And everyone loved it. And, and it, you, go, you were complaining about this a year ago, but yeah. not anymore. You know. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's all right when Trevor McDonald says yeah. it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> For some reason. I mean, that was what, I mean, when you think about impressions, you go, of course, radio. You know, because the, as we saw, Dead Ringers went on to become a very successful TV show. But the production values for that, because you sort of got to get the same sets. You've got for it to work on television. It's got, got to almost look as good. I did a show. Um, I was, oh, my God, I, I've never mentioned this on the podcast before. But there was Gina um, Yashere did a thing called Gina's Laughing Gear on CBBC about 15 that, years yeah. ago. And yeah. one of them was called Spoof, which was an impression show. Like it was kind of junior dead ringers. And the listeners are going to love this. If you 
if you YouTube hard enough, and I'm not going to make it easy, you will find uh, an image of me dressed as Harry Potter in a Harry Potter sketch. And and I would say that I look like a fat John Lennon is what I look like. <laughs> I, I don't know why. They gave me the little glasses and stuff. I did not look like Harry Potter. But w- one thing I remember from that is that... Um, it is that they were big sketches, like it was a huge production, and and yeah. I guess you can justify that when shows are getting like three to four million. But now, if you were to pitch something impressions based for telly, it would have to be. So we're filming it in people's houses. <laughs> yeah, well, they're, they're just doing one with deep fake. I think I read mm. something. Um, the, the ITV are doing the first deep fake impression show or something, uh, which uh, sounds tremendously expensive. But I'll be interested mm. to see. Uh, you know, how that comes out, because that's quite an interesting idea, I think. One of the big things that I wanted to discuss in this chat with you, because of the, the breadth of things that you've worked on, is the health of comedy on TV and radio, because it sort of strikes me that it's really fucking hard at the moment. You know, like, there's we're in a world where... I so I always come back to my behaviour because I think I'm a very average bloke. So if I think if I want to laugh, what do I do? You know, I go probably on TikTok. TikTok makes me laugh a lot. There's a lot yeah. of young working class types, quite blunt humour on it. I might watch them as stand-up special on YouTube or Netflix, you know. And I love like terrestrial television and radio, but it's very much not my first port of call for humour. And that is that's a challenge, isn't it, at the moment? I, I I sort of know what you mean. I don't. I wonder whether that's just. A, I don't know whether I've turned into my dad, you know. Mm. And I'm sort of staring at, at new comedy, if you like, and going, going, what? what is it? Well, this isn't for me, and that's fine, though, isn't it? Because I don't think the things I was watching were were for him either. But just in terms of the audience that things are getting on terrestrial, if you look at like, um, you know, what would be seen as like a good sitcom now, if it did six hundred thousand. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, oh, that would be seen that's, as that's... a very good business. You know, a, a topical show doing like a, a, a million, you know. I mean, it, it just it just seems like it's it's harder to cut through because it's, it's just an environment now where there's so many other places to get your comedy. And I suppose my sort of, not thesis, and, and this does tie into what happened with you on the Now Show. You were part of Now Show during, you know, what a lot of people call it's kind of golden era with Steve Hugh, um, yourself, um, Mitch Ben, and it was, it was a very stable lineup, it was a very good lineup. And look, it was it wasn't the most diverse lineup in the world, and there it was certainly wasn't. it certainly wasn't. And then you were just honest about the reason you were given for you know the fact that you no longer associate with the show, which was a producer got in touch or BBC yeah, bosses. Yeah, yeah, exactly that. Yeah, and and I was just sort of told that they were going to recast yeah. the now show. You know, for for di- for diversity reasons, right? And yeah. you go, well, okay, you know, that's fine. And I didn't meet, and I I just I just tweeted that because I didn't think, <laughs> and, I, <laughs> and I literally just just went. I, and the reason I did it was for a joke. So it's the same reason that Jeremy Clarkson got fired for punching a producer, right? Yeah. And it was the same week. So I tweeted, I've just been let go, let go from the Now Show or whatever, um, and I didn't even punch a producer. So it was just a little joke. Yeah. And then, of course, because of that, it, the, it snowballed into the male doorstepping my family. I mean, it, it was an insane couple of weeks. Yeah, um, so the just, story quickly becomes... He was fired for being white or something like yeah, that, right? which wasn't my story. No, no, no. Or, or anything. It, I hadn't said that. I hadn't said anything close to it. You know, and all of a sudden that becomes the, the well, I think we all know how the newspapers work, you know, they yeah. twist it into whatever. Um, and it wasn't even, it wasn't the, it was the mail who ran with it first. It was the mail on Sunday. It was the, it was the, it was the front page of the mail on Sunday, right? Was it? I remember I was, yeah, 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 yeah. BBC That's the most snack. coverage a radio show has ever got, I reckon. It, it absolutely is, yeah. yeah. It didn't even make the cover of the Radio Times, and that's got the word radio <laughs> in it. <laughs> but yeah, it was the front page. I remember I was away at a wedding, a friend's wedding, 
And it started, and I got my phone, you know, was just ringing on Saturday evening. And I was like, what's all these missed calls on a Saturday evening? And it was my agent, and it was this, that, and the other, you know, going, going, right, you need to know that this is now happening. Uh, do what, And I was going, no, what? I'm at a wedding. I'm drunk at a wedding. Leave me alone. Uh, and anyway, the next morning, I, you know, sort of wandered down the down the news agents because uh, I thought I've got to get a copy of this. And, and I walked in, and there, it's such a surreal thing mm. to see yourself on the front of a of a national paper like that and your photo and all this. And the worst bit about it, well, there are two terrible bits. One was it wasn't the mail were sort of fairly, you know, they, they would just be out to do some BBC bashing because that's what they, that's, that's their agenda. Right. But the worst one, <laughs> surprise was the guardian. No, who literally just, well, I know. Can, yeah. can you believe it? Who just said this guy, this yeah. racist privileged guy. Just whinging online about and i'm like and all they done was copy the mail story which wasn't true either yeah so and i'm the guy and i'm in the front line of this going wait a whoa guardian back off what most people think the other thing that happened that you just go you are they create something they want to create right so mm. uh, uh and so you know i opened the newspaper to go to see a picture of me and my wife um that they that they got mm. uh in in a kitchen right now, the kitchen was the biggest kitchen you could imagine, right? It was it was high end smeg everything, right? <laughs> With oak this and tables of that, yeah. and ornate this and that and the other, and they've just and they've just gone. John and his wife, uh, you know, uh, relaxing at home or some <laughs> shit, right? That isn't our home. What they'd done, okay, yeah. some years before, I had written a travel piece about a house in the Cotswolds and whether or not it was child-friendly. We took our two children mm. to this, and the, the, the house belonged to the, uh, I think it was the bass player of Coldplay's wife. And she rented it out, uh, and, and the newspaper, a newspaper, had gone, can you go and review that holiday home? Because they say it's kid-friendly. You've got two little kids. Go and see. Go and see if it is. And that was the brief. So we went for like two days and we stayed in this house, which had stone corners and floors. And it was yeah, like yeah. a death trap for children uh, uh, or legally speaking, it wasn't a death trap for children. Uh, so <laughs> the, uh, just in case. So the photo of course was something the photographer taken in the bass player of Coldplay's kitchen, not my house, but now it's now in the paper and on record as my house, isn't it? Because that's. And I that love the inference being that, that you've got rich off radio. That's what I love about it. This this yeah, exactly. millionaire has he not had a good enough run, like <laughs> just just kind of uh, skewing all all the profits for all that big radio cheddar. I suppose what's interesting about it at that time was because they they had. I mean, if you look at an old episode of Mock the Week, right? I mean, it is weird. You look at like two thousand and five, six. Yeah, you got, they're all, they're not only all straight white blokes. They're all only within about three years of each other. There was definitely yeah. an issue there. But then what happened in the mid two thousand and tens was suddenly they were like, you know, fuck, we really need to change things. But they were changing things very quickly at a time when there's never been more competition for for comedy audience. And I sometimes feel sorry for terrestrial comedy that that look they should have addressed it earlier and done it on on a gradual process. I don't know why it took so long in some ways, but. That was the problem, wasn't it? Is because you know when you change like like the kind of composition of of panel shows and stuff like that, you inevitably have to bring in less experienced people because that's how you get your experience. Yeah. And yeah, and yeah. then you know the show takes a while to bed in, and that I don't know what you think, but I just thought it all happened so quickly. It 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 seemed like the worst possible time for topical comedy to have to do that because people suddenly had choice. Yeah, it's. I think the problem is. Um, a lot of the time, and certainly with the BBC, it's it's they overcome when when a problem is perceived mm. rightly. In the case of Mock the Week, they instead of 
doing it gradually, as you say, they overcompensate. So they suddenly go, oh my, oh shit, and then do that in a wanna. And you and and you're absolutely right that it should have been because no, if no headlines, there would be no headlines, not even a story had that been gradual. It mm. just wouldn't have. Yeah, it would have. Just and it would have put less pressure on the people making their debuts the, as well. On the comics, exactly, because now they're in the spotlight. And that mm. wasn't. And I think Dara said similar at the time, didn't he? He just went, "This sort of isn't fair now because yeah. you're just putting people in the glare of publicity when they're not necessarily ready for. It. They haven't had the the training, throwing them out there to the lions, really." Um, and I, I mean, I had it to a point, you know, when I did stuff because there, if you if you sort of say if you highlight where well, there's a diversity problem, and then in my case, people talk about the problem of diversity of opinions. When I appeared on this show, you know, certainly when I did the for, for you know, have a got news for you, it, the perception was. Well, he's only there for this reason. I suddenly thought, fucking hell, that must have been like what black and female. And, and by the way, if anyone fucking wants to misquote me, I'm not classing my struggle, inverted commas. <laughs> oh, God. This is what they do, isn't it? I'm just saying I had a sense temporarily of like, oh, they must have had those, those tweets all the time. Because the moment it was highlighted, well, we're going to have one woman on every panel, like <laughs> this bold shout. We're going to have one out of seven. We're going to have one woman. And so it puts that that pressure on. But what's been interesting, I think, certainly with topical comedy since then, is that you go, the the, the, the sort of gauntlet was laid down by Tim Davey. We'll get more diversity of opinion. And actually, since then, all that's happened is topical shows have got cancelled. Uh, MASH report went. <laughs> that's what they've done. They've got, oh, I see your gauntlet. And I, I refuse the challenge. Because the Mock the Week's gone, MASH has gone, the topical eight out of ten cats has gone. Actually, if you look, there's just way less topical stuff being made. It's it's I I find that quite interesting, and I I don't know why because we've never been at a time when I think topical satire has been more and not important. That sounds very grand, but do you know what I mean. Mm. It, at least it holds a mirror up to 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 something and reflects what we're all thinking. So I I do a sh- show called The Skewer on Radio Four, right. Which is um, it is topical, and but it doesn't have performers. It doesn't have writers in the the normal sense. So what we do is we take audio uh, of the news and current affairs, and we mash it up with film and TV, uh, and music and 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 stuff on online to create comedy out of it. Right. So, mm. to give you an example. Um, uh, and the other interesting thing is uh, it, a lot of it is 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 originated just with angry people rather than comedy people. Mm. Uh, so there are comedy people who work on it, but a lot of angry nurses get involved and a lot of teachers who just pissed yeah. off and send those ideas. So I, an example I'll give you, uh, back when Matt Hancock was health secretary, somebody who liked the show just got in touch and said, what if, you know, I don't know how to do this because I'm, I'm, I don't work in this field, but what if Matt Hancock took the NHS to the repair shop on BBC One? And he goes, that great is idea. a great idea. Yeah. Right. So we made that because it happened that someone on the repair shop was called Matt. Mm. So that it tied in. Then we put Matt Hancock's interviews into the repair shop and he's got the NHS there. And so it's all that sort of stuff. Right. Yeah. So and 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 what it's what it does is is just let it's like a venting mechanism for listeners and contributors alike. And it's an open door policy, so anyone can get involved. Um, but but in terms of um I think that's necessary, right? And I thought when mm. Spinning Image came came back, it didn't. It didn't. I don't know. They, they, it was missing the bite. I think. You, interesting that you used to talk about the audience figures because I find this fascinating. So you're right. If new new comedy on I don't know BBC Three or whatever, mm. right? You're right. If they get six hundred thousand, half a million, right? They're over the moon with that. It's a hit. Uh, it is a hit. Uh, but yet it'll get loads of publicity because it's telly. And similarly, if a even the big hitters get you know, one and a bit, don't they? Radio comedy, right? Ready for uh, the the now show, gets about three million, mm. like every week. 
the, the skewer is on at uh, 11 o'clock at night, over a million. And that's, that's just linear. That's just people listening that's as it's on. Great numbers. Yeah. So, but no one gives a shit. It's like, it's like, <laughs> well, instead, on the front of the Radio Times will be the BBC Three thing, you know, no one's watching. It's like the, it's, and plus the, don't get me started on the budgets. I mean, I know we don't have to pay for No, let's get like, started on the budgets, but, please. But, but bloody hell, right? If you write a TV script, you get whatever you get. Radio script, it's no less work, is it? It's still writing jokes on a page. Yeah. I don't know, a third of the rate? Yeah. Or something. It's, it's insane. And then that's so, the funny thing is that often, you know, with radio, one of the things that they'll say, well, you want to be doing this, you know, and the reason that they sort of, the reason they give for it not being as much money is it's got a great audience. You go, well, that's easily an argument for it being more money. I mean, that, that you yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, just interrupting the chat there with John. I hope you're enjoying it. And I hope you're enjoying the sound of an ad-free podcast here. Very rare, beautiful thing. You know, you see them in the wild sometimes, right? It's like a, like a fucking rare beast. No no adverts. You don't suddenly, you know, I'm not going to suddenly start talking to you about uh, about some home cooking thing that I'm getting. If it was me, though, you know, some, some of my friends that are celebrities, like they get the top, the top range home cooking stuff like Gusto and fucking Box Fresh. If it was me, I don't know what, like if I was to get an advertising thing, it'd be like, be like weather spoons cook from home, you know, like whatever frozen stuff that they have, and then they just fucking fry in the kitchens. <laughs> New weather spoons. I'm Jeff Norcott, and uh, if you're like me, you love weather spoons food. And I sometimes think I can't make it to a weather spoons. What if I could cook it from home? Well, with new weather spoons from home, home weather spoons, home spoons, home spooning, <laughs> like, like homeschooling, I can have all the great weather spoons menu at home this week. I had ale pie and weird creamy salty mash. And tomorrow for breakfast, I'm going to be doing a really minging looking fry up. So uh, home spoons. So you don't have any of that. Home, by the way, weather spoons, if you even dare fucking try and roll that out, give, out giving me a piece of love on the uh, the advertising or the uh, the IP. I want the intellectual property for home spoons. Um so, yeah, the way that that's achieved is by the Patreon, keeping it weekly and ad-free. If you see, you know, this, oh, oh, I haven't missed, a, haven't missed a week since early 2020. So thank you very much to all the patrons for keeping it that way. And uh, we've got a couple of new ones to say hello to. Uh, Danny Peters. Danny Peters, you absolute fucking lad, Danny Peters. It's Danny Peters coming. It's Danny Peters. Do you remember that time Danny Peters got chucked out of Oceana for getting his cock out? Oh, my God. I'm not approving of getting your cock out. But everyone had a mate back in the 90s that did it. Everyone had just, just he's got his cock out. No one be a bloke with a large cock. The thing with a bloke with large penises is that I guess it's a bit like having a superpower, and they just don't get to tell anybody that often. So every once in a while, they'll just get it out. And, you know, often it will be, I don't think women ever really want to see that in public, but uh, it'll, get, it'll sometimes get a round of applause off the men. Um, Chris James, Chris James. Why did Chris James, you just, you just sound like a, a DJ on um, Absolute Radio. Chris James, Chris, oh, I'm thinking of Greg James. Of course I'm thinking of Greg James. Chris James, you're one of those greedy guys. I'm just going to have as many first names as possible. Have you got a middle name? you got a middle name as well? Chris James, Phil... I wonder, just Amber, what's some, what are some most first names that anybody's ever had as part of just their normal name? Uh, email in what most people think UK at gmail.com. And just a reminder so, you know, the board members are getting their, um, 
and getting their special gift to VIP members when I do the January online show. You'll get guaranteed front row access to watch that online if you so wish. And I'll be announcing the date for that uh, in due course. There are many people that have got uh, their codes for the Jeff Norcott and Friends gigs coming up next year. And I can announce I will be doing a work in progress tour in the spring next year. Um, so you'll get early access uh, for that. I don't know why I slowed down like that. Let's get back to the chat with John Holmes. I mean, it's weird because we've both discussed this thing about being straight white blokes and not wanting to seem like you're moaning. But it's it's a simple reality of comedy, is it not? That, that almost everybody that works in the industry holds a relatively similar worldview, right? That's not whinging. That is just, that is kind of, maybe writers are a bit different, actually. But like TV comedy... You know, I, I would work on stuff either as a writer or in front of the screen. And I would say that quite often I was within a production staff of about 30 people. I was certainly the only Tory there that would admit it, you know, the same with being a leave voter. And it's because it's just inevitable that that creates a, a kind of group think, right? I think it, it is. I think I think it's getting better. Um, I mean, I uh, and again, we've touched on this. My thing um, has always been the class thing because, mm. I, you know, working class, mum, mum, nurse, dad, a builder, you know, grow up first person to go to university in my family, all that stuff. Um, uh, and that's before I, you know, I stopped playing the card of going and I was adopted, uh, you know, yeah. uh, four weeks old, uh, you know, and because I now I'm making a documentary about adoption at the moment because, mm. I don't, you know, this is a slight aside, but in the, uh, in the sort of late sixties, early seventies, when I was born, we were still, taken off our mums because they were single you know and they were for it's a scandal really they were forced to give birth without any painkillers to teach them a lesson and this is as this is as recent as 1976 yeah right and it's it's utterly insane so uh, you know and and i was a doctor i'm you know recently sort of been going through through my journey as i believe we have to say and just trying to find out kind of what happened and and all of that um but but the class and the class thing's so important. And forty percent of this country are working class, right? And you talk about representation in in the media. You know, now I was talking to Marcus Ryder about this. He's the guy who's the head of the Lenny Henry Center for Media Diversity, right? Mm. Um, and he was talking about uh, representing representation uh, of, of black people on screen and behind screen and, and what the figures are and everything else. Quite interesting um, because I think there's it's. I'll get these figures wrong, won't I? But it's something like three um, percent of people of color in this country. But there's now oh, late, late teen, you know, some representation in in the media um, as well. But working class people, right? Forty percent of the country. How many mm. working class people do you know who who uh, are on the telly? You know, presenting stuff. Uh, well, it's you. <laughs> you know, it, it's well, and, but not... more so in production. As I found, it's like because you, yeah. you could yeah. actually, you know, you can you can change the numbers on the screen relatively quickly. You know, if you only have two hosts and one of them comes from a working class background, you've already yeah. you know done fifty percent. But if you've got thirty people working on that production, that yeah. is that's the you know you, you people will never see that diversity. And 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 I remember like doing these meetings and stuff. But what I sort of realised after a while was that if you had like a cause that people wanted to champion, right, um, class was one that everyone was like, no, this is a thing. But if you think of a cab off the rank, right, it was never going to be the first cab off the rank. That's what I realised. Because if you get like your metropolitan liberal, they're just, you know, what, what's going to make them feel good? It's not going to yeah. be getting like a 19-year-old panel beater from Wigan called Wayne 
a job as a runner at Zepatron, is it? No. <laughs> <laughs> they will all but admit, that's, Wayne. But that's the point. That's what yeah. it should be. And it mm. is, it is, it, I think it, it, I hope that it will be the next big issue that people start fighting for because, mm. you, you know, you, you go, yeah, talk about the, the Centre for Media Diversity. Well, you're not talking about that side of it. You know, it's, it, you've got to start thinking about getting the panel beta into Zepatron and how does that work? I remember one of the early writers meetings I went to uh, for a show, just when I was kind of really first in industry. And again, it was a room full of writers. Okay. Uh, and uh, they were probably back then, 20 odd years ago, all straight white men. Right. Mm. Um, and uh, so there was that, but I was certainly the only working class person. I mean, the rest of them were Oxbridge. I mean, without a doubt, yeah. you know, or, or, or Durham. Right. And I, and I, you know, bloke from the knee and I turned up and, and they were doing, there were script notes in Latin. They were in Latin. And I didn't know what that <laughs> meant or was, but I felt compelled to try to join in. But I, I didn't say, sorry, I didn't stop and go, sorry, I don't know what this is. I went yeah. to Higham Lane Comprehensive, you know. Uh, actually. The, you know, actually, yeah, I don't know what this means. Can somebody bloody explain the Latin to me? Basically. <laughs> so, so I'd not, and, uh, But I remember sitting there thinking, feeling so out of my depth. Yeah, yeah. You know, which was wrong. I should have felt, of course I belong there. I'm part of the nation. Come on. So I do, you know, I do see that um, uh, how, to use that modern word, inclusivity you know, is so important, mm. but you really have to widen those boundaries to get. Well, know, that's the point. Is is, is if you say, yeah, if you're saying like the BBC do have this unique pressure to represent, where you go, well, because of the license fee, where you go, well, it has to include class and it has to include opinion. You know, so I think that the people at the top of the BBC get this. They really do. You know, like I've been in meetings, they do get it. It's how once you get down all the way down to the line of uh, a production company, you know, a, a, of kind of like 35 to 45 year old type liberal metropolitans, it's just it's never going to be high up their priority list to make a program that reflects those things. Now, financially, they might eventually realise, well, that's what the BBC keep asking us for. We better fucking yeah. do it. Um, but yeah, that that's just not what gets them out of bed, maybe creatively in the morning. And I suppose when we, we talk about our panel beater, Wayne from Wigan 19, you know, Wayne maybe is the guy that they've always felt a bit scared of on, on the train station. You know what I mean? Like standing on a platform, maybe Wayne shouted something at him out of a van. Um, <laughs> maybe maybe we need to have like some of these you know these weird professional development meetings where we have like a role play with Wayne where they can sort of speak to him and sort of say, Wayne, I just feel like you're going to beat me up. Wayne, I just feel like you're just going to punch me in the face at some point, and and then and then and then they can get their fears out, and then they'll feel more comfortable about having Wayne's in the workplace. Yeah, I think well, you know if you get your Wayne in a workplace, it's not gonna, it's not gonna, it's only going to improve improve things because Wayne is going to bring a point of view uh, that your company doesn't have, and that's only going to make it stronger. And that's diversity. That's how it works. Genuinely, that's what how we it all. Works. It's genuine diversity because you're getting all opinions and all walks of life. You're doing your own bit in terms of representing diversity of voices in terms of this uh, this Radio 4 um, commission. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, you're talking about unsafe space, right? So, yeah, um, yeah so we did a pilot. And again, as part of that diversity push, uh, when Tim Davies said we should have more of it, I went to Radio 4 and I said, right, you don't have diversity of thought, right? You've got you, most of your comedy programmes. Um, broadly, as you say, there are pockets with yourself and, and Simon on the uh, Simon mm. Evans on the news quiz and everything else. But but what you don't really have is is 
is is working class people in a program so much you don't you don't have anything that 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 goes against the grain that sort of has those opinions that aren't fashionable amongst those metropolitan elite um the dis, the dissenting voices against the received narrative shall we say yeah the liberal right? orthodoxy yeah so so i said so you, we should do a program like that and i said but it's ready for it so it will be grown up you know what we'll do mm. is we'll have some stand ups that you wouldn't normally have right uh, that wouldn't come near Radio 4. And in fact, who, you wouldn't even invite them on a now show, probably. But let's have a show with these people on. But we'll also get debate in there and chat. And the sort of people who do, we'll invite the people who scream at each other on Twitter and put them in a room, hmm. a pub perhaps, to be convivial, where they can talk about these things rather than just 140 characters. So we did a pilot and it went really well. Um, as yet, possibly because the Radio 4 audience were like, oh, oh finally, finally, something. Something well, that's blow me not, down. Uh, I mean... Yes, look at this. Opinions that I agree with, um, or, or whatever it might be. So anyway, we've got a series, and that starts in January. Um, and we've been recording loads of stand-up gigs uh, and putting stand-up gigs on with, again, voices and comics. Not yourself, because you're already all over Radio 4 like a rash, aren't you? But you know what I mean? We're yeah. getting people on who wouldn't normally, but with some solid Radio 4 performers as well. Um, uh, Simon Evans is doing... right, But mm. Simon's not doing stand-ups. He's, read, he's written, writing a, an essay column and re- doing an essay for us each week intercut with interviews with people uh, who have a right to reply against his essay. If you sort mm. of mean so, uh, and Andrew Doyle is doing stuff uh, for us. He's going to interview. So he's interviewing um, uh, Owen Jones, who mm-hmm. are two people who are often. Uh, oh, the finally know. the Doyle Jones thing. Well, that's box office, isn't it? There's yeah. a lot of so, people that so want to. Yeah. yeah. Listen to that. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, we'll have a you know, chat. That's the thing is, I know he gets a lot of stick on sort of like uh, that side of the fence, but he will actually have a chat with people, and he's got a track record of doing that. So that that I yeah. think will be well worth listening to. And I think one of the things that perhaps producers and stuff have to overcome is this fear factor of like, well, what are they going to say? Like, they seem to think that the 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 idea that you're not like a lot of us would genuinely say we're being fully censored, but that certain viewpoints don't have a, a platform. Like, well, what do you want to say? Do you want just want to say the bad words? You're like, no, because modern audiences would, would tell you to fuck off. That's if you right. went out and were um, like genuinely unpleasant and brutal about minorities or disadvantaged people, like how how first up the jokes would have to be amazing. I mean, that is to even get a laugh, the writing would be worth, it would be worth putting on just because the jokes would have to be that good. I don't know anybody that really wants to go out and do that comedically. No, I, not not and have a sustainable career or not certainly not get any, I think there are probably a lot of people doing it, you know, in, um, you know, like Roy Chubby Brown still makes a good living out of uh, being oh, yeah, uh, yeah. what you yeah. could argue is as provocative as possible. Um, but he's got an audience and they follow him around. It's a bit like, it's, it's sort of like the, the, it's like the Stuart Lee thing, isn't it? He's like, he, mm. you know, Stuart has that thing of going, right, I know my audience now and I can make a living by going to these, you know, probably mid-sized to bigger venues and I'll do a tour a year and that's my living and that's yeah. fine. Uh, and he said that. Uh, Roy Chubby Brown, same thing. What I'll do is I'll put a DVD, a DVD, how old fashioned, at Christmas, yeah. uh, and then I'll play, you know, the whatever halls in regional arts centre, and yeah. uh, and my audience will come and see me. But you're absolutely right. Outside of that, and certainly comics coming through, are never going to go and say the things they're accused of, are they? I mean, I've seen, you know, uh, I, I, for the pilot, right? We got loads of flack when we did the pilot because. Mm. Uh, Chortle or whoever it was put it up as a sort of um, you know oh a right wing comedy show, which it never again not in the press release. No one said no. that. Loads of left wing performers all. on the lineup, which loads sort of, of them. 
you know, just people who too many. I would argue, to, <laughs> but they, that's another. <laughs> <laughs> but but it was a it was it was literally a diverse lineup. I mean, in all mm. senses of, of the word. But no, it's a right wing thing, and we got we got people. Um, and this is why that that element of the left wing, I think, uh, 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 kind of deluded, because you go that they threatened to, we had to get extra security in on radio budgets, right? Wow. To stop the gig being disrupted because the moment they found out Andrew Doyle was involved. Yeah. Cause he was in the lineup. Um, they threatened to, we had to go to the BBC and go, right. So it's a, this is a radio full recording, right? It's mm. pretty grown up. Right. And yet there are people threatening to turn up with air horns that they'll blast throughout the recording to ruin the recording. So no one, this show can't possibly be broadcast. Right. Actual threats like to, to Andrew, to me, because mm. I'm, I'm producing it right, and to and just and we'll come in and let's just alter, let's just bulk buck the book the tickets, which are free because it's BBC, right? We'll all turn up and we'll just sit there in silence or not turn up, and then it'll be an mm. empty room. Ha ha ha, they won't be able to broadcast it. Ha ha ha, ha. air horns, right? And we had to get security <laughs> to stop that happening. And that's you go, this is insane. What are you trying to achieve? There's just some people doing jokes on the stage, and all and all the jokes they said we were going to do. Yeah, didn't materialise because that's not going to happen. No one's mocking trans people. No one's having a go at people's rights. We, there's just some jokes about how the prevailing thought is. Yeah, God, it's just so... I think people listening will be as annoyed as I am just to hear that people try to shut it down. It's just... It's ignorance in its purest form. That's, that was part of the reason for trying to do this series on Safe Space is because debate, it seems to me, or it's a grown-up debate, is yeah. shut down and stifled, literally with air horns in this case. So the idea of putting... Owen Jones or, and Andrew Doyle and and Billy Bragg's coming on, right? Because mm. Billy Bragg's been very vocal about freedom of speech recently, but about how there should be consequences, you know, and he's talked about J.K. Rowling and all this sort of stuff, right? That's quite an interesting point of view yeah. to have him chatting to Andrew about, I think, you know. Um, so it's, that's but because it's Radio 4, you can you can go, yeah, it's, it's quite sensible. You know, it's a comedy mm. show, but we've got some debate in it. And, and I think the more of that, the better, you know. I don't think Billy's going to bring an air horn. Put it that way, you know. It's like he might bring his guitar, uh, but it's 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 not. It shouldn't be like that. And I think you you know, as a sort of looking at it uh, overview, um, you know, I got an insight into that when we talked about the um, the front page of the Mail Nightmare. What I found hmm. was, as the sort of pawn in the game, was I got I got the right wing, the very right wing, having hmm. a go at me. Uh, right, people would send were sending me death threats naturally, right? But but they'd be quite a lot of people sent that meme of uh, and they put my face on it of me sitting on a branch sawing it off behind myself mm. uh, with the sort of and they were going well if yeah you again they don't know me they go mm. you know you you middle class liberal you know this is what you get isn't it if you if you uh, if you're middle class liberal and you're hoist by your own petard aren't you collude. Yeah, like the Vichy you. regime. Yeah, <laughs> sawing it off behind you because this is what happens to the likes of you. And then on the other hand, I'm I'm a complete racist because apparently I I'm a white privileged something yeah. something, you know. And you go, no, I'm not. Uh, no, I, I'm none of these things. I'm a nuanced person, and I happen to think some things that might be a bit right. I also think some things are a bit left because I'm Which... a human and I absorb it all. You know, I read I read the uh, I read all of the press. Yeah. You know, I read the Spectator, but I also look at the new states because I like to absorb all opinions and it's for my own, you mad people. I mean, I, I really want to hear this, you know, straight away, but I know that you're in the edit for it. When is it likely to be broadcast? Uh, it starts second week of January. Yeah. Second so, week of January. Yeah. 
Yeah, six-week well, run. Yeah. I mean, make a date in your diaries, everybody, for that. And um, John Holmes, look, I hope I hope this isn't the last time that you come on the podcast because I feel like oh, we only I thoroughly saw... enjoyed it. It's, uh, well, it's uh, quite, a refreshing, uh, quite a refreshing chat. Thank you so much for appearing on the show. Pleasure, Jeff. Thanks very much for having me. Okay, so that was the chat with John Holmes there. And I, there was just so much in there. You know, it's so interesting to speak to somebody in comedy that is coming at it uh, from a different angle. So do check out all this stuff. Check out his Radio 4 show. And also keep your eyes peeled for Unsafe Space, which is coming out on Radio 4 early in the new year. Uh, just a few reviews here before we go. Uh, if you could leave them uh, five stars, please, on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts from. It does matter. I found out recently that when people decide whether or not to go on shows, they look at how many reviews they've had as a sign. Uh, you know of whether or not it's a well listened to show I'm currently on 1400 which as I say is is probably less than it's about less than 10% of the people that listen so if you haven't reviewed you just got even just five stars one word like it now I realise that I'm going to get loads of those and it will look like I've I've paid some fucking bot a bot farm in Bangladesh to do it but uh, but yeah just, just some short pithy uh, review that would be awesome um so the review here is, I've got to read this one in a Yam Yam's accent. Uh, this one says, best podcast and advert free. Been listening to the podcast from the beginning. I always remember thinking, yeah, right, Jeff, advert free. Ain't going to happen. But how wrong I was. Thanks to his loyal supporters and board members. Jeff says it as it is. And look forward to listening each week with the joy of not hearing fake, fake chats about how he loves a craft beer and saving a third on rail fares. I hear, I hear what you're saying. There. Are you saying, are you saying, mate, Mark, that, that some people that advertise cheap rail fares on their podcasts only ever sit in first class? Fucking very dare you. How very dare you. Um, celebrities are all exactly what they seem to be. Um, this is from Paul K. Paul K. Sounds like a bit of a cockney. Uh, loving it. Genius at work. I was late to the podcast after having a super chuckle at him. Oh, in Soliho. I read this one last week. So we've had one new review uh, since last week. I reckon we could do better than that. If we get if we get it up to like, I don't know, it's 1,400 reviews now. If we can get it up in, you know, in a few months to 2,000. Who knows what fucking guests... I could get on it. But enjoy the rest of your week or weekend. And uh, just remember, if someone says, isn't it cold? Just go, no. Even if you're standing... <laughs> Even if you're standing there, like, properly bobble hat on, fucking mittens, gloves, scarf, just go, no. Just stare them in the face. Isn't it cold? No. See you next week.